The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. And mom, leave here and move there. Well, let's start talking. Let's start recording. Let's start talking. We've been recording. <laughs> have we? Yeah. Oh, good. Very Mark Marin of you. No, no poor to open this one. We have a new producer at the board. J Quad, DJ J Quad, Jeffrey James Joyner Jr., the fourth. Mark Marin's unacknowledged son, for sure. <laughs> I mean, there was a poor. Tony was pouring. It's just a matter of did our engineer pick up, pick it up or not? Uh, no, I was waiting for you to put the bedspread down. <laughs> Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Winemakers Podcast. Uh, if you didn't couldn't figure it out, things are a little different this week. Uh, Bart is here. I'm here. Sam Quateri. James Joyner is here. Brian and John are on assignment, and we are on location at uh, H. Quateri and Sons Winery with my uncle, Anthony, <laughs> Tony Quateri, uh, the vanguard Man the God Godfather. Godfather. The uh, old man. The old man. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the the man who made who made natural wine before somebody came up with a name for it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Really. Uh, no, he just made wine, and then people started coming up with names for it. Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, um, and as we sort of as you heard in the very cold and distant intro that we were talking about um you know in our glass right now is 1984 cook vineyard uh zinfandel from the cook vineyard if it still existed would be moon mountain district uh you know up there at the top of level valley road it was still it wasn't it wasn't on the nap across the county line um it was definitely um and this was this was the estate Zinfandel from my side of the valley before we lived on Norbon Road at 16600 because this is where I was born. And, yeah, and so what year were you born? I was born in 83. 83. But 83 is a terrible well, vintage. So maybe 80, 80, 83 was the first vintage. Was the first vintage there? And then 84, 84, 85, and 86 were all really good years for me. Yeah. I might be able to find another one in there. Um. And that was my my dad planted that vineyard completely. I mean, Jack hammered the, the the rootstock in. Yeah, I remember it being like a giant pile of rocks. I mean, it was a really really tough one, really yeah. tough one. And but, and can you guys talk about Mr. Cook, right? Uh, he was Admiral Cook. Is that correct? Son, so son, his son. Yeah, of, he was the son of Admiral Cook. Um, Charlie Cook. There is. I mean, the story that. I mean, you know, he was the guy. Like when I wanted to, he had this canister of cookies so i'd go up to his house and try and get those cookies and that was like he was the neighbor and the, and the and the landlord um but the amazing story with him with charlie cook the son of the admiral was he was part of the whole like pentagon papers deal yeah. and was on his way to testify in congress uh and was in a uh suspicious and mysterious head-on car collision <laughs> which is and, and always walked with like canes and crutches and a limp every I mean, it was like, you know, near fatal kind of car crash. 
Um, I mean, the, the history with the cooks, I, I mean, that's, and this is, again, from the mind and memory and attention pain of a small child. Yeah, you know, the interesting story about him, he was at some kind of thing for Spanish people or whatever, and anyway, they, they were all speaking in Spanish, in, in a sense, putting down the white guy, and he talked to him in Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was he was a he was an interesting guy. He was. I mean, he definitely had a good sense of humor. Um, he grew up in China, wasn't he born in China? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was. I mean, there was some. You know, again, his father was like the admiral head of the Pacific Division, or right? Right. Pacific yeah, Fleet took over took over Japan. Yeah. And, and what was it? Japanese or Chinese? I guess I'm wrong I, about either one. I, I think it was probably the. Japanese? I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This is, you know, this is again. This is the, the ancient history of Sonoma Valley. Really? Um, and dark ages. Uh, and so, you know. so here it is. If you guys want, so okay. between the end of 1945 and early 1948, as Admiral Cook commanded the Seventh Fleet and naval forces in the Western Pacific. Wow. In the Western Pacific, so that would be Japan, Japan China, Vietnam, Korea. So it would have been at the end of World War II, you right. know, and right. obviously very short after that, the Korean conflict started, right? right? I mean, there was already tension there in the area that was going oh, on. Yeah. But he had been born in the 30s, though. Charlie. Yeah. I, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, this is anybody who's, so to take a little context here, anybody who's ever ridden their, you know, the, it's such a, like, cyclist's paradise, Level Valley Road. Mm. If you're going up Level Valley Road to ride the loop, Admiral Cook Way is kind of about halfway up the hill, right. and that's what we're talking about. And then this vineyard would have been sort of like another couple miles from there up on the crest of the mountain. Right, 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 yeah. right. Definitely, he was really devoted to the whole idea. I mean, it, with with your father doing it, I mean, that's the first right. major vineyard, vineyard I think he put in. Uh, you know, right around then. It was then, it was, you know, Walter Benson's. Benson's, right. Uh, it was before Cayman. Cayman, just a yeah. little bit, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a big deal. A huge deal. It took them forever. That was a really tough one. Yeah, I think I think they've gotten slightly faster and considerably more expensive well, at Enterprise no Vineyards. Jack, no more jackhammers. Right, there's no more jackhammers <laughs> in the in the vineyards out there. So I don't remember what the what the clone was on that, but it must have been uh, it must have been the same one that was put out here. Seventy nine. This was born seventy four. Right. And it was the Goldstein clone. Which from, was from Monterosso. Monterosso. Yeah. So that's what's here. Yeah. So oh, it, I have a little bit of the, of the main part is Mont is, is the Monterosso. Then I got the clone from Cundi, uh, and that's the other uh, heritage clone for the valley. Okay. From their their century, what they call their century vines, which yeah, are yeah, yeah. well over that. Uh, what was the name of that? Was it Shaw? I think they called that the Shaw Vineyard. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But that's their, you know, they have that one stand of old vine um, still standing there. Right, that you can right. see, you can actually see it from the highway if you yeah. know where to look. Right. Yeah. So in this vineyard, that's, I mean, part of my uh, eagerness and curiosity to come up here and, and talk to you is, I mean, I have questions and, and gaps in stories that I've, been telling uh and you know not that it ever stopped me um you know that i've been telling for my whole career in wine which is basically my whole life um but let's can we start with with this property sure, sure um sure. and and then actually even go back a, a generation or two because the story that i tell in the tasting room and tell me if this is true or not is that um 
you know, your parents, my grandparents, um, had a piece of property like somewhere in Marin County, like Tennessee Valley or something that one of their, again, this is from Paul White, my dad, you know, again, giant game of telephone, that there was a piece of property that somebody in the family had that was basically like you got with a subscription to the newspaper and they sold that Uh to buy this in the in the 60s. I mean, I, that, that vaguely remember that, that thing about Marin, but I'm not sure about that. This was bought in like 61. 61. And my parents built the house in 60, 63 mm-hmm. or somewhere in there, you know, give or take a year. But mainly that my dad, Harry, knew the winemaker up at Italian Swiss Colony. Right. And, and in those days, they had a, a mixed black vineyard uh, all had pruned vines, and they'd let us just go up there, pick a ton of anything we wanted. Right. You know, and that's what's the beginning of it. So the first year we did the uh, Zin, and I think in 64 we did the Petit Syrah that lasted and lasted all the way till about two years ago. Petit right. did, yeah. so, so, so was when they moved up here, was it the idea to start a winery? Or um, was it for home wine consumption? Home wine consumption... Um, it's kind of interesting because this is very similar looking to Tuscany right. with, the, with the olive trees growing and et cetera, et cetera. And also their idea was to get the boys, my brother and myself, kind of out of the city because we're getting into the 60s, very turbulent times, and trying to get us more out into to the country, really, right. essentially. So when we moved here, the Enterprise Road was a, was a, was a gravel road, wow. and it, it was a six-party telephone system. Which was really wait, wait, wait. the fuck does that mean? It means that you have a special ring, like two longs, two shorts, two longs. So you knew you have to listen to the the ring to tell if it was your telephone number or not. Uh, so like somebody would call, call, and, and then it was like every house in the neighborhood would ring. All six of them. All six. All, all six houses in the neighborhood would ring, but there was like a ring for each a specific. Right, or cast. sometimes you'd pick up the phone and there'd be somebody on it, and you'd have to ask, "Could I use it for a second? And it, so I mean, so, it's, so, I mean, it's a long time ago, but it ain't that long. Ago, yeah, right. Yeah. Not really. So and then, Red, correct? Right. So what did Red do before that? Like, what what was his? He had a he had a a, 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 this, a delivery service in San Francisco delivering um, janitorial supplies okay. to to, um, to individuals and also to businesses. Okay. Yeah. Lily White Bleach, yeah, let, right? Let me, let me just. I'll be right back. I, I should have had these things out. You'll find them. That's fine. So w- what I think is fascinating... Well, so Sam, you're not old enough to remember there were TV shows. I think I want to say like there was a show called Green Acres. Yeah. Um, I, I, Nick okay. at Night. I see some Green okay. I'm seeing some Green well, Acres. Well, so th- there's <laughs> the, you know, the party call kind of um, right. uh, play on that. And, okay. you know, the idea was is that you could, if you could pick up the phone quietly enough... You could listen to your neighbors what they were talking about, oh. um, you know, and that's kind of like where the the whole uh, you know the idea of Jimmy Buffett had that song called Coconut Telegraph, you know, because it's it's just what you hear over the Coconut Telegraph, and right, right, right. How rumors got s- spread in the fifties and sixties. I have a feeling, or verified, or verified, <laughs> or right, verified. Right. Um, what is this? Is thirty-nine-year-old uh, Zinfandel in our glasses right now? Um, to me, I mean, a you know, first of all, it's delicious. Um, so fucking Moon Mountain District. 
I mean, it's the it's the you know the the Goldstein Martini Monteroso. Look at that, Lily White products, forty four Lee Street. This is the most amazing one right here. That's your grandfather, great grandfather, all the way to the left. It looks just like you guys. Yeah, no shit. Look, that, turn it over and see what year it was. This, uh, the way that you can tell that it's somebody who I'm related to is, um, and this is you know a picture from this is 1908 in my hand. This is so this would be Enrico, my middle name on the. Um, so you know they're dressed like it's the 1910s with shirt collars and ties. But you can tell it's a Katuri because there's no room for the collar between the shoulders and the chin. Just, that's that Katuri neck, or lack thereof. <laughs> and that face that looks like he took as many punches as my little brother. Yeah. Enrico Katuri came across uh, 1907? I thought it was 1906 yeah, it be, or 1905. Yeah, we have the, I have a copy on my bulletin board in the taste in, in, in my office on the... Um, it's like, you know, Ellis from Island. his Ellis Island yeah, ledger. Yeah. And, you know, he had... Um, it was, yeah, I think it was 19, I think it was either just before or just after the earthquake. Um, and, uh, um, occupation farmer. Right. $20 in his and, pocket. And like, yeah, like $20 in his pocket. Um, uh, so since we're in the, in the way, way back machine, it's such a, such a great photograph. And you know, um, the interesting thing, and I swear to God, I just found that. Just, just, I just found it the other day. I was I'm cleaning out out there, right. and I went through this one of these old uh, books that my mother had, right. and it was stuck inside there. And I Crazy. never, I've never seen that thing. It's wonder who are the rest of the people in that. There's, their names are on there. Their I names mean, are on there. There's okay. definitely some nefarious going on. I oh. mean, that is this not a group of people in front of a window, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So, so here's another story. Since we're in, you know, pre-war, pre-depression, pre-prohibition, San Francisco on this. Um, that I always tell in the tasting room. <laughs> Again, here we're here to verify things. Um, so Fern's father or grandfather, no father, Kopke, Kopke, Richard Kopke, had it was a had a cooperage. No, it's just the other way around. It's the other way around. Okay, okay. so that's right. Uh, Richard Kopke was the first president of the Cooper's Union in San Francisco. Oh wow. Okay, and then. He had, it was down on 3rd Street, because in those days, everything came in, in dry, dry and wet came in wood barrels. Right. From, from gasoline to flour to everything, oil, mostly oil. So the first job that Enrico Couture got was at the cooperage that Richard Kopke was the manager of. Okay. All right. And then he eventually fired him. So, so just to, so this is, a, I do tell the story, and not with many, to, re, to recap there. My great-grandfather on the Katuri side's first job in San Francisco was at my other great-grandfather's cooperage, and he was fired from that job. Fired from that job. Probably so, from doing something that he was up to in that photograph. But, <laughs> but then the really interesting thing then, you know, I was born in 49, they got married in 48. Right. The families came together, so that many years later, when they used to have the card games at Christmas and all that, right. there was still a lot of tension between the two men, obviously. Right, so this, I mean, because that was, what, 30, 40 years later. Yeah, yeah. And so then, you know, uh, Enrico went to work as a so-called, in a hardware store in, uh, in uh, Marina, and then Richard who had a bar on 17th and Harrison. I mean, I have pictures of that M&H, you know, what is it, M&K bar. So when probation came, he, 
he wanted to go into uh, bootlegging, and it was super profitable in California and San Francisco, especially. It wasn't like back 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 east where you'd go to jail. Here, it was just kind of wide open because right. it was all about wine. Right. Wine from here, actually. Some people that we used to get grapes from, his father made wine for the um, for one of the hotels in in the city, and they'd serve it in teacups. I mean, he remember, he told me that, you know. But anyway. Um, <clears throat> Where was I going with, with, with Richard and Enrico? Yeah, yeah. So what what did R- Richard do? Because I remember Richard became a, a mailman and he retired from the mail service. Okay. In his, in, you know, many many years right. later. And and I mean, what I remember is when either one of, your aunt Tootsie or Violet passed away. That in their basement garage in the city were many cases of booze and like champagne and things like that that were supposed to have been and like marked for destruction no 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 they they got the tax they got they paid the tax because the volstead act didn't come in like one day no more booze it took like three years to get into full effect okay so they as as it went from spirits to wine to beer so they they were given a, a tax stamp and they could be removed for 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 individual use and and but it was another really interesting thing, there was, if you could put your head around this, original absence, original absence. Mm, right. And my Aunt Tootsie and her, you know, it was totally illegal. I mean, that was like the illegal, illegal of everybody talked about absence as being the bad. Anyway, right. she the green dragon and whatnot. Uh, uh, poured them out down the sink. Tootsie wow. did? Oh, God. My heart hurts. Right. <laughs> but they were, they were like... They they weren't they weren't first first class. They were like what do they call it the the the, the, the kind of whiskeys that they just pour. They're not they're not by name. Right, they're like well drinks. Well drinks. So yeah, it was right. all those kind of just generic blended things. Blended things, and maybe they were, and maybe they weren't, because we you know there wasn't any rules in right right 1905. I mean, there's no Appalachian. There's nothing crazy. Well, and you know at that point they probably didn't. What do they call it? The heads and the tails. Right and the head right from the from the from, from the, the distill. distill, you know, they probably weren't watching that as much, right? right? You know, because one of them has the bad alcohol that will kill the, you. The, right? the heads, you know. yeah, the heads. But you know, right. but you have to also give them credit. I mean, these guys knew how to do it. I right. Mean, so it, it was just maybe they cut it with with neutral grain spirits or whatever, right. but nobody was dying from it. It Correct. was it was during prohibition when they started to die from it. Okay. Because okay. they didn't know what they were doing. Okay. And they weren't gonna throw anything away. Got it. You know? right. I mean that it, makes perfect sense. Yeah. There wasn't the vet market for cleaning supplies and hand sanitizer than that there is now. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. Well they did Probably have to show the, yeah. the Spanish flu though. You know, right, they should have they paralleled parallel fucking washing their hands a little bit more. <laughs> um so so Richard Kopke, my great grandfather, Fern's father, became a mailman where what's the the what was Enrico's path and in, in particular if if you know towards meeting and marrying uh Agatha Levantine right right Mimi yeah yeah what did he do so after he gets fired from the, yeah so he's working at the with Mercelli's or the working at a hardware store okay. which you know but um it's really it's really kind of nebulous and he was he you know when I was like eight or nine years old he had like seven or eight barrels in his basement. And right. that's what—that's uh, when, you know, the old story, the, the fermenter starts at six foot, and then by the time you're 80, 
it's down to three foot because <laughs> you can't push the caps down anymore. <laughs> so there, there was the, there was the old fermenter right there, right. and then there was an open top, uh, on its head barrel with the top open, still fermenting. He was still fermenting, but he was well into or late seventies, early eighties. So this is this is in the marina. In the marina in the fifties and sixties. So it would be in the uh, yeah like. Yeah, I guess it would be the 50s, yeah, like okay. towards the end there, because 49, like 58, 57, 56, somewhere right. there, 50, yeah. So, so I, I would imagine that he was, uh, he was, I would imagine it without proving it, that he was just, he was bootlegging the whole time. Right. He never stopped. Because right. What else could he do? I mean, he came from Italy, he didn't, you know, right. it wasn't like he was going to get a job with the post office. Did, did he speak English? No, he didn't. He could, but he wouldn't. But the famous story about him is he used to go down to the palace, <laughs> palace of Fine Arts yeah. with with uh, French bread or Italian bread and soak it in wine, get the ducks drunk and take them home. And then <laughs> my grandmother, my grandmother had to, had to clean them. There's a clear you know? lineage right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that, that tracks. That, that's not even like that's just like around the table talk. That wasn't right. like. Oh, guess what your grandfather did? That's right. what he no, did. That's the right. duck that was on the table that right. night. I, mean, I can see Max doing that, or Wilder, for sure. <laughs> well, no, we actually have to stop Wilder from doing that in the plaza <laughs> on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> yeah. Gotta wait till people leave, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gotta wait till the lights turn on, Wilder. Uh, why, why? Oh, my God. Okay. That's, that's amazing. I mean, this was, you know, they lived in Cow's, Cow Hollow, Marina District, right? Right. We got... Uh, that's a big freaking helicopter. Fire chopper? No, it's not a, fire. Maybe it's... get an alert. It uh, looked military, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, oh, this good. is a flyway between Santa Rosa Airport and... and, and at least it's been a long time since we had to run from camp helicopters. Yeah, right. Not that anyone here would know anything about Yeah, that. camp sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, let's go to camp. <laughs> Definitely not the campaign to end marijuana production. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's a podcast for a different topic and a different day, <laughs> James. Sorry. Uh, this wine is delicious, by the way. We talked about it while you were digging out that photograph. Still gone. And, yeah, and, I, I wish I, I would have been more mindful about it because when I poured it out, right, it was pale. Yeah. And, and, and the air activates the color. Activates the color. Still has good acidity. It's got some fruit in it. I, I mean, what I talked about when I mentioned is that it has the signature of Moon Mountain District. Zinfandel, the way that the fruit and the acidity play, and and you know this is again this is a thirty nine year old Zinfandel. The structure is there. Um, yeah, it's not over know, the it's, hill. But... It's the Martini clone or the you know whatever it's called the Monterosa the, clone. I bet it is the Monterosa clone. The Monterosa clone grown in Moon Mountain District rocks. You know this is the, the white this is, soil, huh? the chalk. Yeah, is it's chalky soil up there? That that uh, volcanic ash. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's what Cook was all about. Yeah, this is uh, you know these we're. Still trading on these flavors uh, every day. And, and that's the beauty of it, you know, and I think, yeah, I mean, and you put it into perspective, natural yeast and no chemicals, no sulfites, right. nothing, and there it sits. Right. Yeah, no, it's... How it's, long is Zinfandel supposed to last? Uh, Not 34, what is it, 39 years? 39 years. years. We call it 34 years because this was made the year after I was born. No, 30, <laughs> 30, 39 years. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Uh, can, we, can we talk about Mimi a little bit? Oh, yeah. His, she was a, she was just the most wonderful redhead, blue eyes, you know, Swiss, Swiss. Yeah. But she was actually Italians went to Switzerland, and yeah. the Switzer, the Swiss, in their infinite wisdom, pushed them all to the edge, a Rolo. So right. at the end of the San Guitard Tunnel, 
is where she is. They used them for common laborers. It wasn't like there was no exalted place. Right. It, it, they just needed power, manpower for cleaning and, and all the menial jobs. Moving all those roads. Roads and, and whatever else they were doing in the little village. Right. Then she came over. So it, it must have been about the same time. She worked at Italian-Swiss Colony right. as, as a chambermaid. And that's where the, the, the long-lost relative of ours, what was his name? I can't think of it right now. Katuri um, was born. She, he was an illegitimate son okay. of, of Agatha. Is or this Mimi. Wayne's family? No, Wayne's is another one. This okay. guy's name, I, forget, I, I just had it. But anyway, Phil said it the other day when he was here. I can't just think of his name. But anyway, when Enrico married her, he adopted the, the child. Okay. And then she, he had two, my, my aunt, Josephine, and Harry. And Harry. So, and this is a, another story that I tell is that there was, yeah, there was this illegitimate child born to my great-grandmother yep. up there. Yeah. Uh, and that it was essentially there was like a, one of the first paternity suits in California. I never heard that, but apart from that. that so I... this was a, a news clipping that Phil found when they were cleaning out uh, the, the Raymond and Rutland Street house. Huh. Um, that that Fern had hidden away oh, in her in her you know Catholic guilt and shame, oh, yeah. um, and that maybe that there was something and you know this is maybe the extrapolation that I had to the in the tasting room, but in that settlement or whatever the relationship between Enrico and Agatha and the Italian Swiss colony was why we they were getting those grapes. God, and that, that's, that's, I mean, I, it's a good, it, just think about the timing of it. Right. My father was born in 1917, so this guy was already born. Right. We weren't getting grapes from Italian Swiss colony till 63. Okay. So that, so that, no. No. So the grapes that Enrico was getting and making wine with in that basement in the in the Marina District. Lakeville. Lakeville. Oh, okay. Remember, remember the, Le, what are the Levantini? No, there weren't the Levantinis. I can't. What's I, my my mind? They had bonded winery number four out in Lakeville. Lakeville. So right after prohibition ended, and they started the system up again. Right. So that would be what thirty four. And those. So so we have in the tasting room photographs that you know are again long lost relatives that I don't necessarily know, and you might be able to identify if you saw them. Um, but it's definitely you know you can I what you can tell is it's Lakeville. You can see that sort of like, you know, uh, eucalyptus trees and, and grassland hills that, you know, look like you're on the other side of Sears Point Raceway. Right, right, right. Um, right. So let, can, let's, let's talk about that because I don't... They weren't, they weren't relatives. It was it, like some friends it, or business. It, yeah, yeah, Enrico went there. Well, my father went there on the summers on vacations and uh, Enrico would... Because I, re I remember that he would go up with stuff that he got from the hardware store in a cigar box. And he'd try to sell them like a broken pair of pliers. I mean, he'd bring out this stuff that, that was Kateri. returned <laughs> returned from the right. hardware store. He'd take it up to these rooms and, and try to sell it to them. But they had a, like a beehive oven in the back where they, where they were doing the baking. I mean, it was a real... Yeah, we have a, photo, we have a photograph of that oven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the picture of him on the, on, the, on the tractor, not on the tractor, with the team of horses, right? Right. And, yeah. That was out in Lakeville. And that, I mean, to put in perspective, what I understand is that was, you know, a million case a year kind of production level of that, at that winery. Mm. No, not a that million, big. No, there'd be, no the, you know, actually, I spent some summers there, and okay. I actually saw the equipment 
and I saw the whole setup, and it, it was it was like this. I was like this. Yeah, I mean, you but could, it was putting barrels onto the river and sending them down to the, the city, city, right? Right, right, right. Oh. So there, there was a lot of producers around there. So maybe it was like a cooperative. Oh yeah, maybe. Venture. Okay. But yeah, I mean, these guys were running a full-on farm, from okay. livestock to hay, to even you know like uh, vegetable gardens. So okay. they they weren't they didn't have a million case winery without any equipment. Okay. Right, right, right. And so okay, but there was they were growing grapes out there as well. Absolutely on their ground. Yeah. And probably Zinfandel field blend. Yeah, all well, had pruned well. vines. There was right. no such thing as a trellis vine then. It was right. mixed black vineyards. You know. Okay. And but that was all planted pre-prohibition, or do you think that was planted post-prohibition? Okay, there's an interesting thing about pre and post. In that pre-prohibition, there was like a lot of Zinfandel, a lot of Cabernet, a lot of a lot of really good varietals. Then when prohibition came in they really pulled those varietals out for for grapes that could could take the transportation on train from here to New York. Okay. So Alicante was the king. Okay. For two reasons. One because of the skins and two because you could make two wines out of it. Right. So, so you could ferment it and then start all over again. Right. So Alicante oh, that's why Alicante just like rehydrate the must, the the pumice. And still have more color than you would have with most grapes. Right. 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 Wow. And so that's why, you know, there was there's like um Dubaldi still had uh Alicante and that was all leftovers from prohibition times. Planted right. during prohibition. Or or meet. Yeah, because yeah, it's 13 years, right. so you, you'd right. have time to get it up and running. Or maybe even people saw it coming and, and yeah. you know, and planted. But like Zinfandel disappeared. Thin skin would never right. make And there, right. uh, how long would it take on a train to go five days, six days, maybe? Right. No problems. And, and, and I, you know, I have some old postcards from Sonoma County from that era and the, the pictures of the train cars just full of grapes. And yeah, these little 35-pound like, boxes, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right, those little wooden lugs. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Did did you guys both realize that this, I at first thought this was like an advertising thing. This is actually like a pot scraper. Right. Um, Uh, It would actually come in handy for cleaning out the inside of a tank when you're (laughs) outside cleaning it out. It's the right shape and everything. Totally. Yeah. That's awesome. Lily White Products. I think that could be a new brand for one of you guys. That'd be perfect. Yeah, you guys could have it. <laughs> I feel like that's really going to resonate in the current environment. It really is. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. yeah. Well, big in Florida. I was going to say, there's a couple of, we'll just, the villages only. Yeah. <laughs> oh I think that's God. DeSantis's LLC. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> DeSantis probably needs a, probably looking for a new job, <laughs> the way his campaign's gone. Yeah. Um, so let's let's um, let's talk about this property a little bit. Okay. Um, sixty one. Sixty one ish. The houses right. were built, and right. then sixty three we started making wine. So I made wine with my dad off and on to about seventy seven, seventy six in there, and then I started making wine. Um, essentially, when Bernie Mosier was up at. Um, Right. Glen Ellen Vineyards. Glen Ellen Vineyards now yeah. Moon Mountain Vineyard or Repri. It's even a new name now. Yeah, Repri. Yeah, Repri. Repri. Yeah, it was Carmen A and then it was Repri. Yeah. Um, are they still functioning? They still have the uh, K's, yeah? Oh, yeah. The K, I mean, they're, uh, 
we're, we're an enterprise client, and you know, sixteen six hundred makes a little wind up there sometimes. Oh, right. um, it's a. Were they know, able to do anything with all the mold that they had in this? Uh, it's it is as clean as a whistle in there. Really, what they do? They clean the heck out of it, and they and it's like a regular process. And moving the air too. Somehow. And and it's, there's like a bunch of you know bunch of big fan system in there, mm-hmm. and uh, the people that own it now are um, very well funded. Um, the guy who owns it now. Oh, so nice. They pretty much whatever they need to do, they can do. It is amazing the transformation because yeah, I saw that cave before it was cleaned and um, it yeah, reminded me of six inches. Yeah. You put your hand on the wall. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of but you know, slowly. I always thought that they just drilled drilled a hole from the from the top of the ground into there and start moving the air up. I mean, that's what right. It would have been a simple problem. Well, it is. You know, the interesting thing about it is it's the last unreinforced cave dug in california because uh-huh. it was what 81 82 that they were they were digging those caves for for carmine under uh, you know dick graf of the shalone no i might have made it a little bit later than that a little later than that because bernie was already gone i think right that was jeff baker yeah jeff baker right yeah, yeah um so what year was the vineyard planted here 74 74 74 or 75 and that was you and and, Nano and, and a bunch of whoever we got my to dad do. my dad was in college still then right or basically just attic or right around that was right i mean he graduated from high school in 1970 so he was probably living here and going to sonoma state 70, yeah maybe i don't know i don't remember did he do any work oh he, yeah because uh, okay. he would definitely say that he did but you didn't want to yeah, verify I mean, that <laughs> Well, interesting. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, obviously, I mean college wasn't a big deal. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you just stayed in college long enough to avoid the draft, avoid right? The draft, right? Yeah. But then he did get the conscientious objector. Right. I remember going to the hearing for it, but okay. the, the you know the way was already gone by then. But he did get he got get it, the was, status. Right. Well, because because Nano Harry had, or somebody else in the family had had the conscientious objector status at a previous war, right? The There's never time? been a Katuri in the army. There's never been a Katuri. Never in the as army. far back as anybody could yeah. say. That's why they all left Italy when they were starting to uh, evoke the draft. Uh, and that's you know there's there's a, there's Katuris in France. There's Katuris all over the world. More or less. They, they, and that's why the great Katuri diaspora to avoid the draft. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a there's a project right there, James. Let's find all the Katuris. But you know, my, my see what kind Harry, of shit we can sell each other. Was was he worked in the submarines at, at Mare Island? Harry oh, did. Seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Mare Island. It was actually in uh, Hunters Point when the Hunters Navy Point. had a, ba- a right. Navy base there. I still have the box that he used for the machine ma- machinist. Um, mm-hmm. So he worked on the home front, basically. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was an interesting thing you could do with he. He, he was uh, he. He raised like sheep and stuff, and he was also really involved in the rodeos. Right, was, I mean, I always describe people, I describe Harriet people as a cowboy. Yeah, and you got, I've, I have one, you've got one of the picture on a horse, even though right. it's stylized, it's definitely him. Right. But through going at the, um, through the Just, rodeo anyway, he, he, con, he contact, contracted syphilis. Okay. And that kept him out of the army. Because he was having... Riding horses, no doubt. He was, yes, riding, riding horses. Those dirty horses. Those dirty horses. <laughs> so it's always, dirty, always dirty another, horses. you know, we don't talk about, but that's, you know, that's why he ended up at, at, at Hunter's Point. And working, avoided the army. We avoided the army. Yeah. It's one way to do it. Yeah, whatever it well, takes. It's a good way to do <laughs> it. <that's laughs> yeah. Pretty fun way to do it, probably. Hopefully it was. <laughs> probably. Yeah. And that was, he... he was essentially a working cowboy out in the... It was like with he the rodeo raised, in the Central Valley? He raised... 
He raised sheep, and that was one of the things he also did during the during the war, which was part of the service. Right. So raising raised sheep, sheep for food or for yeah, wool? For food, for okay. food, and then or both, both. actually. Yeah. And then the 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 horses and the uh, rodeo was was a side part of that because obviously it didn't run all year long. So right. it, was, it was he did it uh, infrequently, but nonetheless he was doing that. Okay. So going back and forth, probably you know from where he's living. I don't know. I mean that's. Those are those are those are times that are always talked about, but you don't listen. You know? Right, right. Well, I think that Fern probably encouraged you not to listen to those stories. Yeah, probably not. You know, yeah. was, my my grandmother, um, who I keep referring to, was a elementary school teacher, Bret Hart Elementary, in, in Hunters Point, uh, and was pretty strict. My memory of her, I like did homework at her table one time, and my uh, ADHD brain, James, this is for you, uh, you know, I can't stare at a piece of homework paper for more than like 30 seconds, so I'd be, you know, looking around, and and she'd evolved enough that she wasn't hitting me with the wooden spoon, but every time I took my head up, she would smack the table, <laughs> and I was, that was the only time I did work there, so she was... <laughs> She was pretty strict. And the last lady. time you did homework. That's pretty much. That's the only time I ever got my homework done. <laughs> thank yeah, you, thank really you, Grandma Fern. I think about that a lot because, especially now, it's coming up more and more. You know, Catholics. They, they were all practicing Catholics right. strictly, and in those days, especially in my, there was there, she had two sisters and a brother, Uncle Richie, and right. they always looked at getting sick and dying as a sin. Hmm. So you did something wrong. Right, and so you died, and that was right. the big, the the mass and the church to see if you can wrangle your soul into heaven or at least into the before you know the right. limbo or whatever is before purgatory. the purgatory. Yeah. yeah, so that was really the kind of the limiting factor and all, you know. And that was she was very strict in the '60s, and then when they moved up here more and more, they built a Catholic church, St. Leo's, down outside of Glen Ellen. Yeah. And this, remember, this would be like 66, 67. They put the, 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 the crucifix of, of Christ without a beard. Oh. <laughs> and they just went crazy. I mean, that, this is not it. And they never went back to church again. But, you know, years and years and years later. But it, was, it never it was a factor in their life from that point on, which I always thought was interesting. I mean, just, you know, we had to go down there on Sundays, and then we had to go to Midnight Mass and Christmas and all that crap. Right. And then I remember one, going to Midnight Mass at you know Our Lady of the Visitation. Right, but right. then one day it just ended, and that was it. Because huh. there was no beard on. Jesus. There was no. I mean, the, the whole, you know, that whole thing of of the church moving into a new age left them all behind. Interesting. Sort of the whole Vatican II. And all that was, you know, the right. English and all that. But do you think that was like in disappointment or in protest? Or do you think they just, it was a realization that things had changed? It's a realization that things had changed. And ultimately, the support that the religion could give you right. could be changed in a minute. Oh. You, they can pivot, you know. Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to have, you know, these in Latin. And then the next minute it's in English. And is it the same? You know, I mean, they, they would just throw up. So many, so many uh, curves in terms of uh, what was what was the religion. They, right. they, they weren't. And then, interestingly enough, because that's part of this property, my parents, my father bought it with two other priests. And in those days in San Francisco, they were called secular priests. They they obviously had a, you know no marriage and, and all that, but they could own property and they moved around to to different to different parishes. 
They weren't stuck in one place. So Father Smith, who was close to my father, eventually became the chaplain at St. Mary's Hospital. But my, and an, another priest named Father Thomas, who got when they when they made the, the Archbishop when they made the Archdiocese of San Francisco, they eliminated. Um, I guess Cloverdale and, and that, and so he got cut off and he could never go back to the city. So, huh. so the, the three of them bought this property, and then the two so, priests. So it was two priests and, my, and my, Harry. Harry. Okay. And then they got into the two priests got into an argument, and that's the third house down below. So it was the Lulu, one house. Lulu's up, house. Yeah, Lou's house, Lulu's and house. This house, that house, and that house, and then then eventually Smith got out completely. And he got a little mobile home on the next property down. Um, huh. What those people whose names are now too. It's pretty funny that you you, you stirred a memory of mine. Um, I worked at Kenwood Winery in the late '80s, and um, Mike Lee used to have some neighbors who were three Catholic priests. Um, one of them was the priest for the 49ers, and he would always come to lunch and he'd be wearing his his Super Bowl rings. But Mike used to always say, "I just don't understand." how these three priests live in this mansion up on the hill in Kenwood, you know? Um, and they were all retired or semi-retired, yep, you know, yep, but yep. I think they were the one that was active was at St. Leo's. Yep. Um, but yeah, he used to show up with his Super Bowl the rings. Super Bowl rings. Well, yeah. the, and the crowning touch was a priest down here had the girlfriend that inherited the property when he died. Father. So there's another priest that got involved, Father Sullivan. And then Lulu, who was a, she was a, she was a flight attendant for the uh, Pan Am, especially the Flying Tigers during Vietnam. Okay. Wow. And, and, you know, which really puts it back. And she lived, well, she, she obviously, she lived up until like, so he did that in 2002 to, to like 2019. She went to the gym on the morning that she died, and then she died in the afternoon. So she was in her 90s, still driving. And going and to the gym. Re really going to the gym. And that, so Lou... I didn't know that piece of the story because I always knew that that was Lou's house down there. I don't really remember ever meeting her or knowing her. I'm sure I did. Might have saw her at one time. She was a little recluse. So you know? and and she was the priest's girlfriend. And and she hated us, so it was perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and, and you only had to drive by her house right. four or five, I ten times a day. Yeah, I know. And there was definitely tractors and trucks full of graves. Yeah, graves and and, and I, I mean, maybe that's what I remember. It was it was there was uh, it was kind of like a no go zone. Like you didn't even want to fucking if you backed a truck up, you didn't go into Lou's driveway. You went all the way out. Right. To turn around. Right. Okay. Right. I love that piece of the story. <laughs> so how many acres is this piece of property? Seven. Seven acres. Okay. So a little under five vineyard, you know, maybe a, three quarters of an acre here, and then the rest of it's just left alone. We never even walk in it. Just just leave it to what it is. Yeah. Um. So move house building 62, and that's when that probably that first vintage, yeah, first 63, time? 63, yeah. 63. You were you were thirteen, fourteen. My yeah, dad was yeah, fourteen, yeah, ten or eleven. Yeah, um, and w so we have some pictures of that in the tasting room, and and from my estimation, and it looks like you guys were crushing grapes and making wine around the house. But where where was the the quote unquote crush pad? It was down below. We made the wine down below the first couple of years, um, and then we built that, and then that's what we were using. Okay. And and those were grapes coming from the Italian colony. And where? What did you do with that wine? Gave away, drank it. You yeah. Know. So again, just so the Zins were, were were let out young, and 
He only, he only made the petite Syrah one year because it took so long to drink it. I mean, it wasn't right. something you could drink in a year. I right. mean, it took a long time just to get to it, and it lasted, you know, like I said, just a, sadly, I opened the last bottle a couple of years ago, more than about four years ago, I guess now. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about the evolution of making wine here yeah. from, say, that first or, you know, the second, first, second crush in 62, 63 to... Uh, pre H. Couturier Sons, the W. Bats right. brand, and how you got from from so in, making one, you know, with your parents to what W. Bats was, and talk about right. that. A bit. So by by seventy seven, my father was out of it, and I mean he wasn't anyway. We built that room in the back, and that was the first first part of the winery. This this barn, yeah, way in the back, way in the back. Okay, yeah, and that's where. Yeah, I've we were, always been afraid to go in there, to be honest, since I was a little kid. I don't, I've never, I don't go past the barrel, the first row of barrels. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, yeah, so we, we produced about 14 or 15 barrels of wine that we would get grapes from a number of places. So, so you're talking 14 times, talking three, 400 cases. Probably. Yeah, maybe that much, 125 to 200, somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah, but there's always piling up of barrels from the year before. They weren't all bottled in a year. Right, right, right. So then when we when we went to get the bond, Dave Lowe's came by, and he looked it over because this was still, we were still in process building this part into the winery. Right, right. And he went in and, and he just literally did this, and you could tell he counted every barrel. Mm. And he said that this is fine, but you can't get bonded until these barrels are gone. Okay, and that, and that was, was 77? That was, that was the uh, summer of 79. That the bond we, we were bonded in, in July. And one of the biggest obstacles was is that we were in a study zone here for about seven years, and they wouldn't allow any changing of zoning. So we, we, were, we were actually looking at trying to get the winery started in 73 or 74, because we needed to go from RR, rural res residential, to A1 agriculture. And we couldn't make that change until uh, this until the end of the, the decade. Okay. So will you talk about, as I've seen, you know, pictures uh, from like Brian Howlett and some other guys of the W. Betts label. That was made here pre-bonding. Right, right. Um, with you and Bernie and my dad. Well, yeah, I mean, it was like a loose thing. Right. And, and uh, you know, some wine would go out for sure, but... We never made it significant enough to even make a difference, but at least it was something, you know. Right. And, and playing around with that name. What that, was what was the significance of the name? Because uh, we'd we'd all have daytime jobs, so everything done was was being done at night, and the bats in those years were really really thick. I mean, this was always bats, always always bats flying around right. all through the through the fermentation and through the pressing, <laughs> and there still is. I mean, it's so funny because. Housekeeping, but anyway, there's always shit. Uh, it looks like mouse shit, and I said, "Look, it's not mouse shit. It's fucking bat shit, and I right. can't do a thing about it." Bats are right. basically right. little flying mice, right? Yeah, what am I gonna do? Right. You know? And so, any, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but are there any bottles of that left sitting around somewhere? The W bats. Might be able to pull one out. But the interesting thing is that you know I had some people up here just the other day, and they were, uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, sure, you know. And then all of a sudden, a bat came out and <laughs> flying around in the middle of the day. So, you know, there you go. W, there you go. Yeah. The W bats. That's w bats. that's the one to stay away from. Yeah, the one exactly. that's flying around during yeah, the day. Yeah, yeah. It's very Scooby Doo. <laughs> right. Uh, so, and what? 
those the W Bats wines would have also been coming from until this vineyard was in production from from Asti. No, or no, no. This... When my when we when we stopped with my father, there, there was never. Because remember, by then uh, Gallo bought it, uh, and then Gallo pulled everything out, right. which was really kind of interesting. I mean, imagine if you had a mixed, you know, varietal vineyard now of all head pruned vines, it would I'd be worth what you couldn't even. There's no number to it. You yeah. know? It's really a shame, but you know that was the prevailing thought. I mean, you got to remember, like in in you know eighty one, eighty two, and he, even if it wasn't for the so called white Zinfandel, there'd be no Zinfandel. Right, and you know, that's well known, but it's it, it's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, poor Rossi. I mean, he called me up one day and says, "Hey, um, I picked all these grapes, and Gallo wouldn't take them. No one would take them. You want them?" This was Val Rossi. Val Rossi, and I took. I mean, I took as much as I could, and I still had to throw some away because I couldn't even have room for fermenters right. for, for all that wine. And this was the early '80s. Yeah, the early '80s, '83, '82, '81. Mm-hmm. And they, they they picked them, and then they they denied them. I mean, yeah, yeah. So you'd bring them to the, and they were all done in wood boxes, wood right. fruit lugs. Right, all those pounds. Rossi. We got a couple right. of those Carlo, those Rossi, Rossi ranch boxes. So they'd bring them to the winery, and and they inspected them and refused them. I, I wouldn't you love to have been a fly in the wall hearing that conversation? <laughs> I know, uh, I know. Our poor old man Rossi. I mean, he's a great guy. It was, and there was like subsistence farming there at the Rossi right. Ranch his whole freaking life. You know, See, that's the other thing that that is part of the history of here, but everywhere I bet is that there's a whole generation of men that died in the Second World War or came back and never went back to the farm. So right, all right. the people I know, Herb Bruning, that used to help his father build, make the wine during Prohibition to go down to San Francisco, I forget the name of the hotel, there was no offspring between him. So it was mostly people quite a bit older than your father and I when we got into this. There wasn't mm-hmm. like a, a generation of people that, that were about um, among the vines. So it was all people just kind of hanging on to, well, even Ubaldi. I mean, there, there, right. there were, he had his son, but he had no interest in it except to make sure his father didn't get his hand cut in a crusher or something, but right. it, it wasn't there. And there wasn't that group that would have been the natural teachers of us, you know, the natural right. instructors or at least through experience. So I was going with people like I was in, my mid twenties, and these guys were 60, 50, 60, right. which and there was there should have been another group there, and they got blown out by the by the wow. war. Huh. I mean, the, the I mean, it's it's really when I mean, you see it in that perspective, it's the, you know the devastation of just our, our society of missing a whole generation of of people. That what difference that would have made, right. and what difference that generation made for the guys that did come back. You know, right. Hmm. I mean, that's that's. Uh, kind of exactly what I wanted to talk about, what being in the wine business, what Sonoma Valley was like in the 70s, especially kind of as this was all kind of coming together and and you're touching on it. There wasn't necessarily a, there was the old guys, the Val Rossi's and the Ubaldi's of of the world, the... Herb Bruning, yeah. um, But there wasn't really a generation between... No, so what happened a lot in Sonoma Valley is that a lot of vineyards got cut up into housing sites. Right. So we, we, we were able to work with Les Vignerones when Barney had that place off of Highway tw- of uh, Arnold Drive right there, but it was owned by five or six people, and then he would take care of the whole thing. That's like what is like Liquid Amber Way right there on, on yeah. Arnold Drive. Yeah, but we, we're the old, that, that restaurant that never could make it right now. 
you know, used to Rob, be buddies. Rob's, Rob's Rib Shack. Rib Shack. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a really uh, good luck Valley Bar and Bottle with yeah. Valley Swim Club yeah. op- opening any day. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was bunnies. You know, I mean, it was right. a, a landmark for so many. But like, whatever happened, it's never been able to function since. Okay. But yeah, that we there was a lot of little vineyards like that around, and and then obviously. You know the the plantings were started with with the early 70s and a lot of grapes coming in like even this thing 83 right you know so it was planted in the in in the late 70s so there is that that period where it it wasn't anywhere you know i mean wine wasn't wasn't a big deal you know and and appalachians didn't mean anything i mean obviously napa was king right and and sonoma valley was just kind of sleepy it was historically just zinfandel and semillon and that was what we were known for and that that vineyard, Les Vignerons, that's what it was. It was in Simeon. It was in Simeon. So, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and and I think the important thing here is that, to remind our listeners, there was no direct-to-consumer. The direct-to-consumer is if someone came and knocked on your door and wanted to buy the wine, but there was no shipping. There was no out-of-state shipping. Like, none of that existed. And I And I really think a lot of consumers out there don't understand it wasn't until you know the late 80s that 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 had started yeah i mean um, it, 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 the, yeah, you also got to remember in 79 and 80 the interest rates from a right. bank 25 percent right right 25 percent i mean and i tried for a long thank god i didn't get one right <laughs> you know really right and yeah. that so that really stalled the whole industry again you know it stalled it and, and it, then you got you know the problems with white zinfandel and i mean and then the varietals and and then it really didn't get up and running again until until till the you know the actually the 90s right. is when you start seeing interest in it right. and then by 2000 it's off and running i right. mean I, I when i was those those you know the 80s and most of the 90s i never never had to travel anywhere i just saw everything out of the door cuz there was nobody right remember and when we started, 13 wineries in, in Sonoma Valley. 13. 13. How many are there now? Victoria Winery was lucky number 13. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, you know what I love hearing? I hear love hearing him say that number because that's the number I was always told. And I always say there were 13 wineries. Right. I think there was actually more. But, you know, but it was a very, very low right. number. And there was no interest. Right. None. Right. There wasn't tourists coming around. No. Nope. You know, it was just, it, it was, which was, it was a nice time, really. You know, I mean, it, it was quiet. Right. It wasn't. It, it wasn't. I mean, people weren't interested. I mean, it, it just slow. so given that. I mean, obviously, it was in the family. It was. It was our heritage. Um, describe the thought process from wanting to take the home winemaking through the W Bats uh, iteration to H Caturian Sons. Like, what was the? I mean, you know, I, I, I say this as. A Katuri, not like creating in-depth and thorough business plans that are followed to the oh, team, yeah, oh, are yeah. not our strength. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I still I think haven't. I have it. I think, oh, there it <laughs> is. It's over there. Yeah. Oh, oh, just it left. The dog just ate it. Uh, <laughs> but what was you know what was the inspiration and and what was the the motivation to creating a, a wine brand up here? That, that's a really interesting question because it just reminds me that. We went to the accountants. We, we were going to, a second label for Katuri was going to be Maljus, which is a, uh, like a Celtic word, Celtic word for magic or something. And the yeah. guy said, do you really want to call a winery Maljus? <laughs> bad, bad juice. Okay. Yeah, so maybe. anyway, <laughs> you know, one of the main things was, 
is that everything was 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 conventional. There wasn't anything outside of conventional. Right. There wasn't any interest. I mean, barrels, if you remember, barrels were like uh, whiskey barrels. For us, to, especially in 79, and, and when we were trying to get barrels, the best we could do was new American oak whiskey barrels. Right. There wasn't anything else. And it's so funny now that you could get whiskey barrels that had... You know, and, and use them for wine, but he said, no way, we can't do that. It tastes terrible. Now what's the big deal? Everybody's putting wine in whiskey barrels. Well, I think they're hiding their smoke tank. Too, so yeah, they're, they're hiding, hiding a, a lot of things in there. Yeah, they're hiding a lot of stuff But there was there. absolutely no interest. I mean, in organic grapes, organic grapes was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know, you know, Phil was, was, was moving seed for his vineyards in, in, a, in pickup trucks. And people were saying, it's so expensive to grow grapes now. Are you going to put... A cover crop in? Isn't it enough just for what grows out there? You know, and, and, and obviously, not too many years later, you saw semis with trailers full of seed because right. it makes sense. Right. So there was no interest in organic, but it was starting, you know, the, the, the winter of 76, 77, when we had our first drought, a, a lot of people that were carpenters and stuff couldn't make a living because everything got caught up because they depended on the rains to come in to stop construction. So they'd have a vacation uh, and then they'd go to Mexico or whatever and then start again in the in the spring. Right. So in that year, they worked right through the spring, all the projects were done. So carpenters literally became inspectors for the, for the new CCOF. So they went to school and got oh. educated on how to fill out the forms. And so we were, we were you know, people come up that were, you know, they, they were old carpenters or some, from some other trade because they couldn't make a living doing it. it was the origin of, of the organic. So it was still mostly vegetables, mostly right. fruit outside of grapes. And, you know, the, you know, it was so funny because that was really, the, the heritage is going back to the 60s when people, because I was down working with my father at his place, go into the conventional produce market and magically take the truck out and it became organic, you know, and there was a lot of that going on. I mean, it was, but that's what people wanted, but it was still a very select group of people that were looking for it. Then by 79, it started to, started to get some interest in it, but you know, it, it, in a sense that, you know, it makes sense. And a, a lot of, a lot of people coming from San Francisco has heritages and, and, and cultures that are still, their hands in the dirt, so they were very interested in it. But you know, it wasn't to the point of well, what 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 is this? You know. But then when I took the next step and took the chemicals out and the yeast out, I was like the most radical winemaker that ever lived. I was like, I'm almost hung in you know an effigy because it was just so. How could you do that? How could you do that? I mean, I went into wine shops in the city that thought it was a law that said you had to add SO2 to wine. They thought it was an absolute law to do that. So uh, I, I pivoted and, and never talked about it. You know, I just talked about the sun rising over the vineyard and the beautiful days of part picking. Never got into the organic, never got into the natural, so-called natural wine production until we made the sale and then we could talk about it because people's eyes were just glazed. And I remember distinctly going into like buy right before it was buy right yeah, and man. we were selling cabernet from glen ellen vineyards 1979 and the 79 80 vintages were unparalleled i mean they were beyond belief <laughs> they, they that guy said that i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna 
nail your hide to the bankruptcy court for daring to try to sell a bottle of wine for 20 bucks. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And that was what you labeled as young Cabernet? Yeah, young and, and regular vines, yeah. Okay. And like this, this was sold for $55 FOB. The per, per a case. 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 And that case. was a push. Right, yeah. A push. Yeah. yeah. So if you see a case of wine going out for retail at, at twenty dollars a bottle, two forty. Yeah. yeah. It was it was like uh, it, 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 it was like people would just lost their breath. Yeah. And for yeah, for context sake, if you're listening and don't work in the industry, a fifty five dollar FOB is like now the house glass of wine you would buy at a dive bar. You're like, no, oh, you, maybe yet, two, maybe two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like, that's, it's, um, that's crazy. But yeah, even put it in perspective, here it is, what, 39 years later. Right. You could have made some good, gotten some good deals on that. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was, it was a downtime and then started New York in 85 and, and getting out. But like I was saying, Sold everything on the telephone. Right. There was no need to go anywhere because there was nothing. There was nothing. Right. All you had is European wines, and that goes up and down because people patriotic and not, you know, right. and, and and think about it, you know. Thirteen wineries in Sonoma Valley, and none of them, none of them were committed to organic or even unconventional winemaking. Right, right. So there was nothing. Every one of them had at least a Davis graduate there. Oh well, yeah, right. right. Yeah. Or a Fresno. Well, yeah. I mean, in in the old days, they talk about Buena Vista. And, and the winemaker there used to, I mean, bring in grapes, like a, a small amount of grapes, crush them up, and he had a special tank that he used to start the fermentations. Right. So he'd have that tank going and use that to inoculate the, the, the grapes that came under, and he kept filling that tank as the mother for the rest of them. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's in our time. I mean, that's not right. like a million years ago. That's in our time. I can remember um, we used to do our Malik starter, and it was we'd use um, apple juice from George McLeod mm -hmm. to you know get it going. And if that Malik died, uh, it was the end of the world. Like you know, because you'd spread it a little bit, and then you'd have to feed it again, and you'd spread it and you'd feed it, you know. And there was so much stress over it all the time. And now we don't add anything to get Malik going. Shit that lives in the wall just, here, just yeah. starts going. Exactly. You know, a different there was time so of much stress over. Growing. Well, and let's, so let's, uh, this is actually something that when I was talking to my dad about coming up here, um, he wanted me to ask, and I don't remember the names that he was talking about, but there was a, a winemaker. He said in the, maybe the fifties or the sixties out in Livermore, yeah, John Wild, John Wild, that was, who yeah. was, he had a radio so he, show Okay, and he came, he was, he was in Spain during the revolution. So he fought, so he intertwined the history, and then eventually ended up here. And there's a name that we really need to put in here, a man's name. That is, uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, he had a radio show, and he talked about pure wine in the 60s. Right. And, and, and then he wrote a book that I actually had a copy of. I found it at a used bookstore. It was this. It was really, really, really obscure. Frank Matheson. Is, Frank Matheson. That was the other name that he wanted. Yeah, Frank Matheson. You know, and I was just talking to a, a young fellow that's got a winery going, and I said, you know, I really wish that when I was your age, I had somebody like me to talk to because there wasn't anybody. Right. So I ended up with all these pirates. 
I, I lived a pirate life in the wine business, always on the outside, always like you know, looking around, you know, somehow, you know, it's like it's a drug and we're, you know, and, and I never got mainstream with it because of, of, it was never considered that. Right. But now it's like, hey, you, you it's business. We never wished it was like still working out in the woods, you know? Right. And that's really, uh, and Frank Matheson was really the, the origin of, of, he said, you don't put anything in there. Why do you do that? And that was, and that was like in seven, that was in like the early 70s, 70, late 60s. So just for my, the, the wines that Enrico was making, maybe not, but the wines that you made here in the 60s and early 70s with my grandfather, you went by the book that whatever that book was, you were throwing in yeast, you're throwing in sulfites. You were yeah, the last sulfites I think were really in the early '60s. Okay, but and but there was some pitching of yeast. Right, you know it wasn't understood. But then when when he kind of left in, lost interest in it, it's when we really and that would be like '70 70, '71 is okay. when really the origin of, of what we're doing oh, here. And right. that's a that ten years of, of just really working with. The craft part of right. it, literally and, in the wilderness, on it. And then, after that, when presenting wine into the conventional market, I had to make wine as good as or better than what was out there. I mean, I, you couldn't go out with a, with the the cider wines they're making now, the kombucha wines they're making now. The, I mean, they're they're crappy. They're they're. I mean, Alice Faring, when I was back at Ten Bells, many she say, "Why are these people sending me these wines that are so insipid? Why don't they wait? You know, like there's." Six months old. I had a winemaker came here last last year, and he said, "Oh, Tony, I got an old vine Zinfandel." By the way, Alice Faring. Yeah, let's ding that one. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> but anyway, he said he got this like like the Saint Phillips, you know, at, at Cloverdale, the the origin, the real. I said, "Oh man, I'm really interested. Where is it?" So he gave me a bottle. I said. So this was 22, and I said, "What is this? Is is this just like 2000, 2001?" He goes, "Oh no, this is." Made six weeks ago. <laughs> he wants me to drink. I mean, it's like, and that's where it's right. at. That's what you know. That's where the industry's gone to, and and worse. I mean, that actually now it's all pet nats. Killed the they killed the whole category of pet nat. You couldn't even give away pet nats anymore because right. they're so bad. Right. I, <laughs> you know, I got to do this. I mean, <laughs> Tony. Uh, I I mean, that's great to hear that you feel that way because I think, I think sometimes people just assume that defects they could have fixed are just is natural wine. And I don't think they, I don't think they're listening to you. Well, yeah, um, defects define. So when I went down to LA for the first couple of times, I ended up with Amy Atwood and she said, Oh yeah, I see your wines as a bridge from conventional wines to natural wines because your wines are so clean. Yeah. Go, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, then you know, you couldn't sell them. Right. You couldn't sell them because right. they they weren't weird. Right. You know, but well, now the I, switch is on. And, I mean, did you hear that? Alcohol. They have alcohol, right? Well, they don't even care about alcohol. They care about who made it. You know, where it was made. What 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 you know what problem you've got. You know, what color you are. Where the you know who grew the grapes. Are the people that are growing the grapes are giving vacations to Hawaii? And now we'll talk about the wine. But in my day, you sent a bottle to New York and they put it on a table and people drank and said yes or no. Right, right. And that's no it. Context. No, context. no context. Who cares? Who cares? Right. 
And now it's all context. There's no merit. There's no merit. Right. There's no merit. You know, the restaurants in town, they put the wine across from the oven. What the fuck? Right. And oh, natural wine. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Hear that, everybody? Well, Are you no, listening? not even to the point because the, the Godfather I, has spoken. I have a little job in Tucson at this wine shop. So I've tasted wines from winemakers. Sarah, out, out, of, out of the area because of cost and expense. And they were making decent wines to good wines. And now their latest releases are, VA is the king of natural wine right now. It's, it's what, if you don't have VA, there's something wrong. And, <laughs> I don't know. That's what I taste. I taste them all. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't taste, I mean, I'm down there and they're coming in. So I don't taste California wines. I don't taste California wines. There's no point to, you know, Wonderland, Wonderworks, L.A. I mean, I, it, just, it is a whole, and they're all, they're coming, they're, they're unbelievably bad. I mean, like, you, you have to do this on purpose. You can't just do it on its own. So we're bringing in Ridge. We're bringing in uh, uh, Mathiasen. We're bringing in, in, in uh, uh, Mount Eden wines because they're natural. I mean, they're natural. Yeah. And, and all these other guys are adding sulfite. So if they got a little sulfite, hey, come on. Doesn't but matter. they know how to make wine. Right. And that's the important thing. Not, you got to have, you know, but people, young people especially, they taste these wines and think that's the way they're supposed to be. Right. And you give them something good and they're so, what's right. this? There's, not, there's, there's something wrong with this because there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. Well, right. can, and let's, let's the, the justification that you hear from the quote unquote natural wine community is that without using the chemical stabilization processes or whatever, that um, you have to then pick the grapes less ripe because you want to use the acid as yeah, the preservative. Preserve, right. um, and in the context of the 39-year-old bottle of wine in front of us that did not have those same sort of uh, intellectual <laughs> restraints, um, let's just... Will you dispel that notion for us that obviously alcohol and is as good of a preservative as acid? That's what it's uh, for, and right? acid too. Both. I mean, right. there's a little sense of sweetness in that still, you know. Totally, but, yeah. it's, but anyway, yeah, the thing that that they're trying to emulate on one side is making wines from Europe, you know, and they say, oh, those wines are like eleven, their wines are ten and a half. They're... But then we brought in an Austrian wine on the banks of the Mosul. And the wines are coming in at 13.5% alcohol. And I said, look at that. Right. And they're, those guys are hanging it out there till the clouds are coming in. And they're picking them on them when the rains are coming. I mean, that's guts to do that. And you guys are picking Napa fruit, Sonoma fruit. You guys know it. I'm sure you guys. I see it all <clears throat> the poors told me that this one winery wanted to pick at 19. So, okay, we'll pick at 19. So they go up there and he starts throwing the, the fruit out. They go, the, the, well, the green fruit, right? Yeah, they go, well, that's what you wanted. That's what you wanted. So those, those grapes, the, the acidities in those grapes aren't a preservative. They fall out. Right. They, right. You, have to go through, you have to go through the ripening process to get the kind of acid that's going to preserve the, the wine. Because another one's just... So, you that's know, why you end up with these VA ethyl acetate. Weird right. And, and it's and, you know, ethyl acetate from the time the grapes are picked to the time it starts to ferment. Natural yeasts are not going to be able to work in that kind of acid solution, it's going to be really hard for them. Right. If you, you know, like the stuff your right, your, right. your 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 father grows, the stuff we got, you pick the fruit, you crush it, and within 12 hours, it's yep. an active fermentation. Yep. 
12 hours, not two days, not five days, not looking at mold in there. Oh my God, no. Right. No. No, you got to give, I mean, that's the whole thing. You got to give the grapes their due, but you also have to, I mean, they, they, everybody talks about regions and, you know, Appalachians. There's really a thing about that. I mean, it's not just a place, it's a latitude. It's where the sun talks to the grapes and says, look at this. You guys are coming like a year like this. There's a lot of communication going on. Where the sun talks to the grapes is, is this is a latitude. Straight up. I mean, it does. I mean, yeah. it's proven. I, mean, I just had a, a, a stupid discussion with this young guy about cannabis. And it's, he said, and this is an intelligent person, not a, a dummy. He's saying that it's harder to grow cannabis outside than it is inside. <laughs> and I go, what the fuck? And I, I go, those lights aren't talking to the, aren't talking to the, to the plants. Right. Those lights are just giving it what, it what they think it needs. But that thing out there in the sky, that's communication. It's back and forth. Yeah. Look at this year, Grace. What are you going to do? Is there some heat coming? I mean, how are you going to, you know, I mean, there's, you could see it in the vines. They're communicating. Right. And you, when you, obviously, if you're putting, you know, conventional growing, that's, you're, that's not even in the ballpark. But these people, you know, when you talk to them about how to make wine, you have to, I t always say, you have to listen to the grapes. You, you know, I have people that stand here, winemakers, that say, well, this year I'm going to do carbonic maceration. Well, okay, how do you know that? What are you going to do? Right. How, how can you make that leap? It's just like that six-month-old bottle of Old Vine Zinfandel. How do you do that? Right. You don't understand. You're not talking to the grapes. You're not listening to me to what they want to say. Right. You don't have to know anything. You don't need a refractor on a pH meter and all that crap. You just need to listen. You just go out there and listen. Well, it sounds, I mean, they've, they've been told something. They've decided they want something without understanding the process. Yeah. Three, three, three winemakers with three vintages under, under their belt are giving seminars in Miami how to make wine out of fruit. Right. Okay, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, what about the old thing? In 10,000 hours, 10 years, remember that? Right. You want to play a guitar? Right. You can buy a guitar and join a band, right? And that's what I'm seeing, you know, just, and I, and I young fellow that is in Arizona making wine and <clears throat> just totally, he's half Alsatian and half Indian, you know, from India. And, you know, it's like he's, he's, he has no idea what he's doing. So he's inventing things and then he preaches it, that this is the way it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. Because that, that, that unripe acidity is also going to make for for unclear wine that it's not gonna it's not gonna drop bright because it doesn't have the right acids to drop i mean the whole thing follows the rule but the interesting thing in arizona grapes are 4500 bucks a ton wow only because there's none right right apples demand is high yeah for i mean remember at nine o'clock at night you could be 100 degrees right right 90 degrees is not a, and apples are 2200 bucks a ton you can go out here to the, some of the best apple-growing country in the world. It's six, nine hundred bucks. Right. So I mean, it, that's the that's the industry that they're 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 they're, they're convincing themselves that this all makes sense somehow. So and I go up to I go up to Humboldt, good grapes, absolutely no Appalachians, seventeen hundred, twelve hundred bucks for old vines. So, Tony, how about this, if I can stir you on this one. 
um, all these doesn't you, take you, much work. Right. He's a Katuri. You you know all these people <laughs> that just chase vintages I and mean, chase um, harvest, right? So you work a harvest, then you take time off, and you work another harvest. What do you think like about the? Hemisphere yeah, area. what do you think about the process of following a vintage for an entire year? Yeah, well, How first, important that is? Well, I think you know when you're when you're starting out, I think it's probably a good thing to do. I would never do it. You got enough work to do anyway, but that's fine. But you gotta work your latitude. You right. gotta work your place. Right. And the it's, wine, and it's when, all year when you're gone. Right. When the wine, when you're there, the wine isn't in suspended animation. Right. It's still waiting for you to come back. Yeah. Every day it's changing and doing something. Going here, going over there. You gotta be there to shepherd it. Yeah. You gotta see it happen. Yeah. Just as a as the beauty of the art, not because it's going bad somehow. It's going forward. But unless you you you, you like a. You have a child and you, you go away for three weeks or six weeks or six months, that child continues to grow. Right. And you go, whoa, what happened between the last time I saw you and today? Right. And that's, I mean, that's... There's a lot that, of value in that. That's the joy of being in this business. There's no money in this business, right. but it's, you get certain, you know, certain benefits from being able to be working with an agricultural product to a bottle yeah. and, and then on, you know, and, and, and pass the bottle on to the person. And this doesn't, this doesn't mean that I'm selling you this bottle and you can do whatever you want. You're, you're the winemaker now. You're in charge. You put that sucker in the heat. You don't take care of this thing. You're going to lose it. Don't come back to me because yeah. it, it moves on. Right. And that's what, that's what we need to do. I mean, that's, like, that's what you got to see. Right. But it's awesome. It's awesome. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I... I um... We could talk forever on this. I think, me, for me personally, I, I've heard a lot of the stories and created a lot of connections that I was looking for and coming up here, and I, I appreciate that. Um, and thanks for hosting us and, oh, yeah, sure. and opening, opening this bottle. Um, if there are, uh, oh, Paul, <laughs> we're getting, um, all right, we're getting. Uh, uh, you got to go? No. No. <laughs> Even better. James. Uh, Paul, Paul Paul White is texting us, telling us what we should ask. Paul but White has sent in a there's, few. Uh, there's context to it because we are sitting here. This is coming out for a few weeks from now, but uh, Robbie Robertson died yesterday, and there is connections to the band. Yep, and spent some days here. And and Rick Danko and and Garth Hudson no, and Garth Hudson didn't make it. Garth Hudson didn't he make was it. Asleep. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, John Bellucci right. playing basketball right there. Right. Uh, what else is on that loop? We have asking about, I think this is John Medeski, Martin Woke. Martin Wood. Martin Wood. Okay. Medeski, Mes- Medeski, Medeski Martin, Martin Wood. Wood. Got it. Okay. Medeski Martin Wood. Leslie West of Mountain. Uh, Rick Danko and Garth Hudson. And then Father Garth. Guido Belushi and Thomas What was the other, the other member of the, of the band? It wasn't, uh, it was, it was, uh, oh yeah, Richard. Richard Manuel. Richard Manuel. Manuel. Yeah. yeah. He was here. Okay. He was a good friend of, to- of um, Tony Millington's. He was uh, their manager. Millington was their manager. Right. Okay. But they were. That was I, a, I, you know, if you don't, if you're listening at home and know who Tony Millington is, this one's for you. And if you don't, I'm not going to tell you because I don't know if the statute of limitations are up on all that. So. Yeah, but then you know, it was they were they were at the end of the period of massive drug taking. Right. And I was just thinking about when when Robbie Robinson, the reason why the band broke up because those fuckers were. On heroin all they the time. Strung out, yeah. And so he said, "Man, I can't. He's he's an artist. Right. He's not just a you know fly by night." And right. those guys just went. Whoosh. I mean, right. 
Emmanuel died of an overdose right. on, on a ferry in in Canada. Right, not long after he was here, probably. Right, right. Well, none of them did because it it, it broke their hearts, but they didn't understand. Right. You know, I mean, you, you could only play that so long. Right. Unless, you know. Well, and so let's um, let's talk about the Smothers Brothers for a second before we uh, start trying to wrap this up, but. Because uh, Tommy spent a lot of time here. I just heard that the Smothers Brothers, Tommy sold his place. Yeah, they sold. The, there's a new owner there, and um, we might go in and do some farming or redevelopment there. Okay. Hopefully, knock on, knock on wood. Yeah, uh, I wonder what Marcy's doing. I mean, she loved that place, but anyway, yeah, she's she's in Santa she's Rosa. In Disney, yeah, she's in Santa Rosa and still doing her Disney stuff. Mm-hmm. She's um, been write, written a couple books about Walt Disney. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. All about food. All about Disney. What did he eat? Yeah. Well. <laughs> And yeah, nice. Yeah, <laughs> not not latkes, right? <laughs> that way. <laughs> no, but so Tommy was always a big supporter of ours. We spent yeah. a lot of time. We were friends. Yeah, uh, I learned how to swim in the swimming pool. Yeah, he was. Yeah. A, you know, obviously it moved away, but uh, he, he he was a big supporter. I made um, I made a fair amount of of cabernet. I never. I don't think I ever made any more. Uh, I don't think I made any chardonnay from that place, but mm-hmm. I definitely made some cabernet. And through Tommy, that's how. Like Father Guido Sarducci. Yes, and... there was a day when Guard, uh, Father Guard, um, I can't get it, uh, um, came and with John Belushi. Right. And the story that I had heard in this was that they were like maybe scouting locations for something that never happened? Or, well, he, or they were just, he was they going, were just he was, he was going to make a movie called um, um, uh, Betritus, not Betritus, uh, Noble Rod. Noble Rod. Yeah. And the story, backstory was that the, the guy that, he, he was a drunk, and then he, he was working in the vineyards and the winery, and then he stopped, and then he drank again, and then the lost weekend from drinking. So they weren't looking so much for a location to do it, which was true, but also just background. Sort of just... I mean, and that was the height of, of Bellucci's time. I mean, he, right. he, he, would, he would drink wine by the bottle. <laughs> I mean, that was it. You'd fill up a glass, drink it, and then he'd drink the whole bottle, and... That was like normal for drinking one glass. Crazy. But he was amazingly athletic. Amazingly. Yeah. I mean, the shooting hoops. Right, playing basketball right there. Yeah, there used to be there a... There used to be a basketball hoop right there. Right. Yeah. And he was amazingly athletic. I mean, <laughs> he, he was an amazing guy. He really was. And it was so funny because you'd expect him that, oh, my God, how am I going to deal with this guy when he starts going crazy and all his Belushi stories? He was very, very, very calm. Very calm. Even though he was blasted out of his mind. Right. I mean, he, right. he, 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 he had respect. Hmm. You know, he could see something and say, this isn't a place for me to bomb, you know. I'm right. just going to sit back and listen. That's cool. Hmm. Interesting. I love that photo of, uh, of, I guess it's you. Big long table. Girl. Yeah, you, my dad, Belushi, and Tommy or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and then Guido Sarducci was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Morris. Morris Katuri was the... Uh, the, the long the, the long-lost relative. Long-lost relative. So he, he was... So he had to be born probably 10 years before my dad and, and your great aunt. So he'd be 115 or something. Right. Like I that. mean, he, I never saw him. and never even talked about it until way later. Right. Where did he live? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, none of that stuff. Because the thing about, and you'll appreciate it, these, these Sunday dinners always ended up in a gigantic fight. <laughs> I mean, like, like shocking. Uh, uh, Josephine's daughter married a, a, a Scotman that was like the kilts and the bagpipes and right. the whole thing, 
and the, he did not get along with the Italians. Italian. Not, I mean, not even. I mean, oh, cliche. No, it was like, it was like war. It was how did this guy? Where did this guy come from? You know, because my, my uncle Eddie was Sicilian, right. and you know, so it was the Sicilians they, and the Northern Italians didn't, didn't talk to him. But now you got a Scotsman in there oh, that man. all he likes to do is drink and argue. You know, so it was always it, w- it was always an, an ordeal. I mean, yeah. for me, it was like great. I was like, man, it was it, dinner oh, look at this is wonderful. Yeah. You know, uh, that's amazing. Well, we could you know maybe we'll uh, come up for a part two here. But uh, this is this has been a great afternoon. Good. Uh, Thanks for doing it. So, yeah. what about for this vintage? What do you have planned? This is my third last vintage. Your third last <laughs> vintage. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, it, it's it, it's. Um, I think I, I I describe it as bad choices in old age. You know, <laughs> like through the years. But yeah, I mean, last year was such an ordeal with with the heat and the second. I mean, that was like. Why am I doing this? You know, what's what's next? You know, now we got the coldest year problem that I since, remember. Since I mean, from the in the Vit Tech Department, they're sort of tracking it uh, as far as degree days were similar to 2010, but yeah, the where they had the signs on the fences, free grapes you pick. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But it's not quite as wet as that. But yeah, yeah. so I mean, you know, I'm going to do this, and and I've got a couple other things going. I'm working with a fellow up in um, Humboldt. That he's got a you know a nice vineyard and and a winery, but he's just I don't know he's inventing things you know and, and I said you can't invent things <laughs> it's like it's done Cabernet Chardonnay Cabernet Chardonnay right. no appellation the only thing that works is what people know and they know Cabernet and they know Chardonnay make it in the state not a place where you're making wine they got like eight varietals in the vineyard this is stupid right. Riesling where's a good Riesling in California they don't exist. So he's got he's got three rows. I said, yeah, I think I'm gonna got two rows of reason. I'm gonna put three. What are you doing? Put in Chardonnay, Chardonnay, Chardonnay. Right. I so mean, it's, it's not the famous. It's not the greatest, but at least you get, you'll have something. Nobody's gonna say, oh God, what's this? And so I got some grapes there, and we probably do some more. Al- oh, I should open up an apple cider. Oh uh, yeah. Do you have a minute for that? Let's grab a cider. Yeah. Let's grab a cider, and I, I want to. While you're doing that, I want to uh, have a rant i've been thinking about um for a couple days now should i cover my ears no you're good it's not about you no this is this is um you know a theme that we've been talking about for a long time on this show um but it's you know with our ptsd around fires and this this whole situation uh in in maui um and you know obviously all our hearts and and sympathies and and um you know, knowing what they're going through, having gone through it as a community. Um, but, uh, you know, we're talking about fucking wildfires literally in paradise yeah. and, you know, destroying towns to the point where people are jumping into the ocean to get away from them. And, uh, you know, what, what Tony was talking about with the, the weather extremes and, and predictability and, and um, you know, if you're out there and you're not making your decisions both as a consumer and as a business uh, about what you're doing and how it affects the climate, um, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, uh, I talked to my mom the other day. There were tornadoes on Cape Cod. Right. Super normal. Totally. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, this is this is an ongoing theme. You know, Nicole Rollet showing up last month with just, like, that sense of urgency. Um, and, and again, you know, 
don't go to Maui right now, but go to your favorite restaurant or, or shop there and buy a gift card for the next time you're there. Do what it takes. Uh, you know, again, being in Sonoma and, and the way that we were able to sort of bounce back because of our tourist industry, because of our wine industry. Um, you know, I know that they have that ability. Um, but if that must be a cold bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not thinking about that, um, again, I mean, some, wrong. something to add there, too, is, you know, talking about Sonoma bouncing back or looking at what's happening in Vermont right now. Um, one thing that, that, it, that it always comes. What's going on in Vermont? Uh, well, Vermont had massive flooding. Oh, that's um, right. Oh, right. Downtown yeah, yeah, Montpelier yeah. is underwater, or it was. Um, so one thing, a theme that all of these small victories of survival carry is community and supporting your local community. And I think that whether you're talking about shopping local or or even just you know traveling local or or supporting your local community newspapers local is really important um and it's something that we forget about as we all plug in and kind of you know plug into like this global internet or whatever you want to call it but but there's nothing nothing replaces community yeah Yeah. and eating eating in your latitudes yeah that's what speaks to you that's what they're telling you you know i mean that's as important as it all but really interesting kind of a sidelight to this but um, obviously, fire is ever present, and it's never been, you know, it's kind of, so years ago, not many years ago, people would come here and say, oh, I love Northern California, but I can't, I'm worried about the earthquakes. Nobody's talking about <laughs> Nobody's talking about earthquakes anymore. I'll take an earthquake. No, don't say that, Sam. That's, that's when they get you, Sam. Well, hey, you know, an earthquake, and it's gone, and it's done. Right, fire. you clean up. Right, right. I mean, I kind of feel like the earthquake's going to bring the fire, right? What's that? If there's an earthquake, there'll probably be a fire, too. No, it depends. We had, you know, the last big earthquake was uh, 2014, the Napa earthquake. Uh, that was a wild time. I mean, you know, there was a lot of damage in the wine industry in Napa. And the thing that, I, I don't know if it happened up here uh, in 14, but... You had nothing. Uh, when, on the Mayakamas range side, on the other side of the valley, after that earthquake, because that was, what, August, it was basically around this time of year. Yeah. Um, whatever sort of, like, subsidence and shifting happened deep underground all the creeks started flowing and all the, right. you know, all the springs right. came yeah. to life for a couple of weeks in the middle of August with no rainfall. It was, it was a, a wild thing. Um, yeah. But no. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. But nobody talks about earthquakes anymore. No, <laughs> no, almost, a, you know, we could use one. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shake some shit up around here. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, and part of the problem is there again, people are building houses where they've never been built before. Well, that's exactly They're right. One way in and one way out. Yep. And, and it's totally wrong. And, no one's taking care of the forest like people did. Right. Everybody had a little place, five, six, seven acres, and you controlled the forest. And you worked your land. You worked your land, and, yeah. and it was what you did, and it wasn't oppressive. And you, oh, God, do I got to do it? No, it was, it was the, the health spa. Right, it was Zen and the art of living. Zen and yeah. the art of living, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, it's even beyond just, you know, local. It's like understanding where you live, you know? It's like saying... What's going to happen? What 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 do you see in the future? Yeah. 120 degrees for two ten days in in the second week of, of September? No, 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 no. That's, yeah. that's not in the. It's that's not, not in, it. That's not in the game plan at all. Yeah. So people say, Tony, I said, I have no idea what's going to happen. I've never I've never seen anything. Right. Super ripe fruit starting to desiccate, high alcohol, and three week too too soon picking of acidity right. that you can't even drink the wine. I don't know if it'll ever be ready, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, phew. yeah, 2022 was 
You're just tasted good. tasted through. I mean, they, you know, there's some beautiful wines, but they're tough. There's there's uh, definitely going to take some time, some patience with that vintage. Uh, for folks listening at home, uh, what's the best way to try and track you down? I know you're between here and Arizona a lot these days. If you want to come up here, taste some wine. Yeah, I'm, some I pretty much wine. made the decision that uh, um, that's going to be visiting and I'm going to be here. Because okay. <laughs> it, it, it's not, there's no opportunities. Well, there's a lot of opportunities. But, you know, it's so funny because you talk to people and they say, in the, they say boy, it's really hot. I don't know. I said, man. You're living in the desert. Right. You know? <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> what are you hot doing? dry, what? God, yeah. these cactus, they're prickly. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, my God. <laughs> Why'd that happen? So everybody's pale as a ghost. They never go out in the sun. Right. right. And, and I said, look, you know, if, you, if you're an adult and you have 101 temperature, man, you're sick. Yeah. You're sitting out in the fucking, and it's 115. <laughs> what do you think? Right. I was losing my memory. I said, this is worse than drugs. <laughs> We're all going, well, no. <laughs> I definitely would rather do drugs than melt in there. As yeah, or then your brain yeah. melts down. Yeah, totally. I'd rather melt my brain if right. I'm on a cord. Be in control, yeah. Be in control yeah. of what I'm melting. <laughs> measured, or not so measured. Metered. 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 There we go. Uh, this is delicious. Thank yeah. you. Really refreshing. Really beautiful. Get on. A, it's, you know, it might... We might get a little bit of ripening happening today. It's the sun came out. It's 82 degrees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... Um, I'm just wondering, you know, like the peaches, which are usually in June, are still. I wonder if they're ever going to get soft. I wonder if they're ever going to get ripe, ripe, yeah. ripeness. Apples, are they going to get ripe? Are they going to reach a certain level of maturity and call it ripe? Yeah. Because I was talking to the lady that picked up, uh, we put some of this wine in the apple fair in Sebastopol, and she said, like, even the, you know, the Gravensteins are still full of starch. Right. And they're starting to pick them. Because, because they have to. Well, they don't have to, but nobody wants to wait. Right. Yeah. Well, interesting times, interesting year. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for thanks for having us up here. Oh, yeah. Pleasure. Thank you for Absolutely. having us. Uh, follow along Katuri Winery on Instagram. Yeah. Um, yeah. Instagram. Yep. Is that is that a good way to get a hold yeah, of you? Yeah. Yeah. Just um, Tony at KaturiWinery dot com. Tony. Tony at Katuri Winery. number still in every bottle. No, yeah, the number that doesn't work. Uh, that's <laughs> I how, that up. So I, I met Tony. Um, Tony's the one who got me into one. I didn't drink. And then I met him, and, and I had questions. I met He's Tony, like, and then I started to turn to drinking. Yeah. I got yeah. it. I to listen to that years guy. later, <laughs> here we are. The, world, um, the sky is 15 falling. 15 years and 70 pounds later. No. Um, but uh, but I just remember you were like, oh, my number's on the bottle. Call, And I was like. And then one night drunk, I'm like, I'm going to call this guy. And he answered. Thank God for the time difference, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. And um, it, was, it was pretty amazing. Mm. Any other uh, shout-outs or closing thoughts, Bart? No. I. This has been awesome. I, I met you once many, many years ago, briefly at a tasting. But um, certainly, uh, you know, working where I've worked, I've always heard about you and you know, they talk about the crazy guy making those wines up there with nothing. Um, uh, but I always knew that you were doing something different than a lot of the other people. And uh, I well, think, I'm having a whole lot more fun anyway, yeah. you know. <laughs> right. I don't have to read books. <laughs> yeah, right. So thank you, Tony. Yeah, well, Seriously. good, because now it really reassures people that I'm not dead. <laughs> right. right. Proof of life. Right. Yeah, I'm still As here. of right. 1.45 on the 10th of He's August. Still around, <laughs> He's still here. Yeah. When's he going to die? With his dog Coltrane and a cellar full of amazing wines. Yeah, right. That's it. I mean, not too many years ago, close 
or a person is anyway said, Tony, you're going to be famous when you die. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to hold that off. <laughs> I don't need fame, just fortune. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I am an artist, but. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, really? <laughs> should we do a Catherine Russell shout out? Yeah, we should do a Catherine Russell shout out. This is coming out in a few weeks, but uh, there might still be time for you to buy tickets for September 17th, our Grenache Day celebration with uh, Catherine Russell, Grammy winner Catherine Russell, longtime family friend, and her band. Uh, Tony Saunders and the Keystone Revisited uh, doing the, the opening act. Uh, our, our mutual friend, Mike the Baker, uh, and Fiorella Boutron, uh, formerly of Edge Restaurant, uh, cooking up food uh, out in the middle of a vineyard in a barn off Denmark Street. It's amazing. You can buy tickets on our website. You can buy tickets on Eventbrite if you want to pay them a little extra money. Uh, and uh, But there's only 200 seats as of recording uh, we're about 25% sold, so uh, by the time you actually listen to this, better get one. Press starts next week, so yeah, if yeah. you haven't, if you have a chance to slide in and grab one, I do it right now. Do it now, and then it's uh, going to be the the concert of the year, maybe the decade, certainly the century. And going al- <laughs> and going along with Grenache Day, uh, September 16th uh, okay. at Sweet D, the Girl and the Fig is hope hosting the Grenache Day. Uh, celebration um, some amazing wines just going to be laid out on the table and it's very possible that some of the people I just talked about might might be there might be there so the 16th the 15th is the private dinner that nobody knows about that we're not talking about you're not invited you're invited but you're not invited if you're listening oh you're busy Uh, so you're not invited that's why Uh, that's why I got confused for a second I was like oh and then 16th is the is the so the big family style out in the out in the field kind of dinner, big long table. Got it. Uh, uh, Vicky then... Carroll from Hospice to Rhone is coming up with, you know, cases full of uh, Grenache and Rhone wines that she's collected over the years. Um, I'm just going to put a bunch of wine out on the table, and John Toolsey and the team at the Fig are going to cook up an epic dinner, and we're going to eat, drink, and be merry, and uh, sleep it off, and show up at the Denmark Street Barn at about four o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Sounds amazing to Sounds me. Good. Sounds like a good weekend. And then stick around, because the next weekend is the Minish Festival. Correct. And uh, both the Legends Dinner on Friday night, um, hosted by B.R. Cohn. Um, it's going to be a Harvest Moon. Oh, uh, Glen Ellen Star Catering. Um, and then uh, f- the festival on Saturday in the square. Um, all of your favorite things are back. Uh, unless Throwing salami, not. potatoes at salamis? Potatoes and salami, I've been told, is back. The water Not fight is back, um, so and then um, and then the grand tasting in the barracks, uh, forty wineries Saturday night. Saturday night, ten or fifteen restaurants serving food. Forty wineries, um, which is four times as many as there was in Sonoma Valley forty years ago. Right. <laughs> you remember you were doing that when there was very little. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. In the barracks. Yeah. yeah. Fest Always be, a good party. Be pretty epic this year. Yeah. Um, I'll be. Taking over the Cinema Valley Vintners Instagram for it, I just found out. So if you see me out there, come say hello. Oh, awesome. And if you're not here, you can follow along on the Instagram account. There you go. Right. Little Neil Young to send us out. (laughs) We'll take it. Anything else, Tony, you want to add? That's it. All right. Well, maybe we'll come back for part two one day. Sure. All right. Have a great heart.